that better? Yeah. All right. Um, we're going to look at the first eight verses, and the title of our time um, together, I still hear a ringing, uh, is The Gospel Does the Work. The Gospel Does the Work. And as Paul continues in this letter um, of enduring hope towards this church that he loved, um, towards this church that he had a great hand in seeing established, um, his desire was for them to remember the transformation that took place in their lives because it would give them hope in the days ahead as, as they looked at those around them. Sometimes we look at the world and we say, man, it's just a lost cause. And from a fleshly perspective, it is. But if God can change us, God can change them, right? And so we, we just move forward in the gospel. We move forward in the hope of the gospel, believing um, that God can do something with that. And so we're going to read these verses, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump in. I, I want to just say... Um, this morning after the service, um, Liz's mom came and said, hey, we got to talk. I have some questions. So we talked, and this is probably the second or third time that we've talked. And uh, she said, I, I'm just struggling with these things. I'm thinking through these things. And so we talked out here for a while. And then I said, let's just go in the office for a minute and talk. It's a little quieter. And we talked through the gospel one more time. And she said, that's what I need. That's what she needed. And so she bowed her head and trusted Christ as her Savior. And uh, she said, I just see the change in Liz's life. Um, and I said, that can be your life too, right? That's, that's the work of the gospel. And so just very encouraged by that. And she was, she was overjoyed. And we came out here to try to find Liz, but she was already gone. And so we called her. And she, I got to call her. We got to call her. I said, oh, let's call her. And so pray for her as she takes her next step. She's, like many, she's nervous about baptism. Um, but I always tell people, baptism, though it doesn't save you, it's, it's the next step that you need to take because it solidifies something in your heart and mind to say, hey, I've made this decision privately, now I've made this public, and there's a group of people that love me and are going to keep accountable, me accountable. So pray for her as we move forward. But let's, have a word of, or let's read the verses and then have a word of prayer as we think about the gospel does the work. In verse number one, it says this, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated. As ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Let's pray. God, we ask this evening as we look to this passage that, that you would encourage our hearts in these things that we're going to talk through. God, we pray that as we see Paul describe his entrance into this place called Thessalonica, God, we, we understand that it was, it was because you sent him there with the purpose of spreading the gospel. He didn't go to make a name for himself or to, to cause a stir, to create drama. God, he, he simply went because that's where you were leading him. And when he went obediently and when he preached your word, God, you did great things. And God, we believe that that's what you still do today. When we're obedient, when we follow you, God, you, you bring about results that we could never bring about on our own. And so I pray that our hearts would be encouraged in this tonight, God, that we would understand that the gospel that worked back then for these people is the gospel that still works today. I pray that, that we would desire to share the gospel and the opportunities that you give us. God, I pray that, that we would be obedient as you open doors for us to walk through them. We thank you again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The gospel does the work. Paul was a firm believer in two things. One, he was a firm believer that the gospel was the power of God to salvation to all who believe. He, he didn't believe um, that, that some people just couldn't get saved. His firm belief was that those who desired to be saved 
could and would be saved as God opened up their hearts and minds to believe these truths. The second thing he believed was this, that he was simply a tool to be used to spread the gospel. He believed that the gospel was the power of God in salvation, and he believed, secondly, that he was simply a tool to be used to spread that gospel to all uh, whom God would allow him to do that. And we're going to see both of those things uh, outlined for us in these eight verses as we make our way through them tonight. This, I, these ideas are evident in his writings. They're evident in his life. They're evident in his attitude. They're evident in his expressed desires and in his satisfaction in life. Uh, his message was simple. It's Christ alone that saves. And his method was simple. Just simply go and tell. Paul didn't change the message based on the people he was talking to. He may have changed some methods. He may have changed some illustrations, but we understand that illustrations aren't the message. The message was the gospel, and he preached that message regardless of where he went. Uh, there were those in his day who were, were seeking to change the gospel, seeking to dilute the gospel. And isn't that even true today? That we, we hear a gospel often that's preached that, oh, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And if you just believe in him, then you can be saved. And while that sounds good, there's other things that we have to believe in that. Because isn't there many who believe that God exists? But what do we also have to believe? That we're sinners. That we have a need for a savior. That, that we can't make it to heaven on our own. And so so much of, of the prosperity gospel or easy believism sounds good because it aligns with certain tenets of what we would preach. But if you leave any of the gospel out, what have you done? You've misused the whole gospel. You, you've confused the gospel. And so as Paul went in, it wasn't just about, hey, believe there's a God who loves you. That's true. Believe that. But you also have to believe that right now you're alienated from him, that you're an enemy of his, that you're a sinner who deserves to be separated from him. So in our day, as you think about the gospel, in what areas would you say the gospel has become diluted or changed in your mind? As you think about easy believism, social gospel, a prosperity gospel for personal gain, how would you say people have taken the pureness of the gospel and shifted it away to focus on something else? Justin. Certainly, yeah, that, that it's just going to make life a bed of roses. When that's the, the opposite of that is true for so many, especially in other parts of the world who get saved, even, even for people in our country, that as they trust Christ as their Savior, it causes divisions where there wasn't divisions before. Uh, somebody else? Dave. Definitely. Yeah, that's good. Justin. Um, maybe the misconception that the more you give, the more you're going to get. Sure. Yep, yep. That's definitely a reality in our world today. If you just sow a seed of faith, send me some money to 47 West Street Road, your life is going to be incredibly blessed. Anybody else? Bruce. Just the, like the Paul book of Galatians, adding works. Yep. Yep. You, know, you gotta believe in Jesus, but you gotta believe in Mary too. Right. You gotta believe this, but you gotta be baptized or confirmed. Yeah. I grew up in that. Sure. Um, never knew I was lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else? Caleb. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a, another one that. I don't believe we see in the Bible that you can lose your salvation. Uh, certainly there are those that believe that, but it's, it's uh, if God is the one who gives it and God is the one who has secured it through Christ and he's promised to hold us and nothing can take us out of his hand, I'd say that that includes us, that we can't even take us out of his hand. Evan. Yeah. Yeah, certainly that, that's <laughs> become ever so popular in our world. Um, and I think, unfortunately, we're probably going to hear a lot about it again. Uh, in the coming years, as elections unfold, that Christian nationalism, that, that um, you have to vote a certain way to, to be a Christian, that all Americans are Christians, um, those things can't be further from the truth. 
I think the Bible should inform how we vote, right? I, th I think there's some truth to that. Um, but there's error uh, when we take those things too far. So that's definitely a, a big one. Somebody else? Yes, Rebecca. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very true, and I, I think we have shifted from calling sin sin to calling sin a struggle. And when we, when we change words, some people say it's just semantics, but it's more than that, because sin is against God. A struggle is just something that we can deal with internally at times, but sin, as it's defined, would be missing the mark of God's holiness, right? We have, we have erred from where God has, has desired for us to be, and so... Do we struggle? We all struggle. But sometimes we just have to blatantly call sin what it is. That's sin, right? I, I'm happy to do that with my kids at times when they have a bad attitude. Just so you know, what you're doing right now is sin. It's, it's sin, first and foremost, against God, right? I want my kids to know that. Why? So they don't grow up as entitled brats who think they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, and it doesn't matter. I want them to know that sin is sin. It's primarily against God and it's secondarily against those whom you're sinning against. And that's, that's a reality from the Word of God that we need to live in. And so feel free to tell my kids they're sinners. I tell them that all the time, every night before they go to bed. No. <laughs> Somebody else? That, uh, this premise that all men are basically good. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's, and then when we say all men are sinners and deserve hell, right. that creates a, a conflict there. Yeah. And then... The idea that there's one way to heaven, his name is Jesus. Oh no, there's many ways yeah. to heaven. Yeah. You know, salvation can be a hundred different yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah. I, I always like to take people in there. If, if that's true, then Jesus is a liar. And if Jesus is a liar, he can't be God. And if he's not God, then he can't be our Savior. If Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he doesn't say a way. He says the way. And if we believe that, we have to solely believe that. It's not Jesus plus anything that's religion. It's Jesus alone that saves. And so those are good thoughts. One more here. Right here. You had your hand up, right? Yeah. Mr. Bird. It's, it's in part the big difference is that our God was the sacrifice for sin, right? That he made himself sin for us, and that's something that other religions don't teach. There's a, there's a way to God, they would say, um, but Jesus is not that way, whereas we understand it as sin demanded such a sacrifice that Jesus is the only way. Annie, I said one more, but this is it, one more. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you certainly hear that. People that read through the Old Testament, those who are not familiar with their Bible, the question often is, why is God so mad in the Old Testament? Um, did God have righteous anger at times in the Old Testament? He certainly did. Will God have righteous anger again when he judges the world? He certainly will. Um, but God wasn't an angry God. You think of all the things that God did to make himself known, not just to the nation of Israel, but to the nations. He was very loving. He was very gracious. And I, I think it's, it's kind of like a, a child's mentality that if you do something a child doesn't like, what are they quick to say? You're mean. Why are you mean? Why are you mean? And so when people look at God and they see God do something that they don't like, they're quick to just say God is mean because he judged the nations. Well, who did those nations sin against? They sinned against God. And as a perfect, holy, and righteous judge, it would actually be mean of him to not do something. Uh, to let that sin just continue on. So great thoughts uh, tonight as we, as we think about how, the, how culture has sought to shift the idea of the gospel, and that culture has, has been pervasive in the church as a whole. And uh, as, as Paul went in in his day, the reality was it was no different. There was people who were trying to, to shift away from the, the gospel that was delivered to them by Jesus. And yet Paul, as he goes through this passage, is going to say, hey, I came into you in the truth. And the truth was not something I established, 
The truth was something that was established by Jesus Christ himself. It's not a man-made message, it's a God-given message. And so as Paul went into these places, he was not interested in making a name for himself or making himself the focus of the message, but his name was to lift up Christ. And he believed the words of Christ that said this, that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And as, as we understand what Paul did in every place that he went, it was to promote this idea that mankind are separated from God because of sin and that Jesus was the Savior. And so in saying all that, what are we saying? We're saying that Paul believed that it's the gospel that does the work. That when he went to Philippi or Thessalonica or Corinth or any other place, it was not him saying, I have to do this. It's him saying, God is the only one who can do it. Now, did Paul, did Paul live with an urgency in his life to preach the message? He did, because he wanted the, the name of Christ to be made known but as Paul left a place and people rejected him, what did he do? He wiped the dust off his feet, right? What does he say? He said, I'm clear from the blood of all men. Why? Because he believed it wasn't him that saved, it was God that saved, and God would do his work in their hearts in his way and in, in his time. So the gospel then, we could say, is most clearly understood when we speak it, but it's also understood when we live it. And when we speak matches up with what we live, that's a powerful tool that God can use and does use, and that's what we see in Paul's life and ministry, and that's what he's describing here. He said, I came into you with, with truth, my words were truth, but I also came to you with genuineness in the way that I live, and when these people saw that, they were blown away. When they saw a genuine love for them, not to get something from them, not to manipulate them to be what he wanted them to be. When they just sensed a genuine love and when they heard the truth that he spoke, it seems like people flocked to this idea of the gospel. Why? Because they realized the pureness of it. And uh, that's just his desire as he went from place to place to simply make the gospel known because it's the gospel that does the work. And so as we go through these verses tonight, I pray that we'll be able to see that as well. And I pray that we would then have a desire to live it. Paul says in verse number one, for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. Paul is appealing to their memory. Now, this was a, a, a length of time after Paul had been there, um, probably a couple, couple years by the time the letter reached there. And what is he saying? Hey, you guys remember? Remember how I came to you? Remember how we walked among you? Remember the, the desire of our hearts as we came in unto you? He says, you yourselves Brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. Paul says we came on a mission, and that mission was clear in the things that he spoke and in the way that he lived. His, his mission was, was not in vain, and that uh, it was intentional in everything he did. And isn't that what we've seen in the ministry of Christ? And where did Paul get his lessons of ministering from. He, he picked up on how Christ lived, how Christ worked, how Christ moved amongst the people. And so everything that Paul did was intentional. Everything he did was purposeful. And everything he did was for the purpose of making the gospel known. He says, My, our entrance in unto you was not in vain. Now this, this has a, a couple of different meanings or ideas that come with it. When he came to them, he did not come in vain in that he didn't just come flippantly or on a vacation. He came with a mission. Also, when he came to them with it being not in vain, it was for the purpose of them hearing the truth of the gospel. And when you, when you align your mission to your everyday life, then that's what God is going to use. Uh, how many of us have, have dreams and goals sometimes, but they don't align to the mission of our life? We, this is the dream over here. This is the way we're traveling over here. And those things never align. Then your dream is probably never going to become a reality. But when your mission in life aligns with the vision or the dream that God has given you, then guess what's going to happen? As you walk in submission to God, God's going to make these things become a reality in your life. And, and this isn't hokey pokey like spookiness. This is just plain and simple, that if you walk in, sub, in submission to God, then he's going to give you a passion and he's going to allow you to fulfill that passion as he opens up doors for you. And that's what we see happen in Paul's life. So his entrance to them was not in vain. It was purposeful. If you remember what we saw last time, uh, Paul says that when they heard the gospel, what did they turn from? They turned from idols and turned to the living God. That was his mission. That was his desire. And so he walked into them, uh, into this place, 
speaking the truth and living the truth. And from his testimony, from his life, uh, God brought about a great work in Thessalonica that caused them to turn from idols and to the living God. And so again, he's proving to them that, hey, my mission was not in vain. When Paul came in, there was probably some that said, what are you doing here? Right? As Paul left, probably some of those very same people said, man, I'm so glad you came. Why? Because he went in with a mission. He went in with great intention, and uh, they understood that, and they're living the fruit of that now. I want to go on to verse number two, and then we'll take some comments. But in verse number two, he says, but even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated. As ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So Paul says, hey, you you know the story, how we were in Philippi, and we were thrown in jail, we were shamefully mistreated because of the things that we did. You know that when we came into Thessalonica, we had to leave at night. We got run out of town, basically. Because why? Because people wanted to kill us. So you know that our, our life has been hard because of the gospel, but you also know that we were bold in our God to speak the gospel to you, even with much contention. Now, you know this about me. I hate contention. I hate it with a passion. There's an awkward situation. I will find any way I can to skirt my way out of that conversation. Hate it. I, I hate confronting people. Um, I hate talking about difficult things at times. I hate it when what I say causes feathers to be ruffled. Um, and Paul said, hey, guess what? When we came and spoke the gospel, there was a lot of contention. But we were still faithful to preach the gospel because we knew it's what you needed. Everywhere Paul went, it seems like there was contention. And yet he was bold to speak, not his gospel, but he was bold to speak the gospel of God. And I think that's, uh, that wording there is pretty sweet, how Paul re- refers to this, not as his gospel, but it's the gospel of God. And friends, don't we believe that? That it's the gospel of God, that God is the one who has figured all these things out, mapped all these things out, that he is... He's the one who caused, called Christ to go into the world and become sin. It's God's gospel, and that's the gospel that Paul spoke as he went into these places. Any thoughts on verses 1 and 2 as you think through these things? Good. Moving on to verse number 3. It says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. So Paul says, as we came in, we spoke the gospel with much contention. And you need to remember, you need to know that our exhortation was not of deceit, it wasn't uncleanness, and it wasn't of guile. What is Paul saying? That when we came to you, we were not trying to manipulate you. We simply wanted to give you the truth. We didn't come to you to try to get you to think like we thought politically, going back to what Evan was saying about Christian nationalism, that that if you just do this, then you're automatically in. If that's the case, then everybody would have been trying to become what? Jewish. Why? Because those were God's chosen people. But what does Christ say through the gospel? What does Paul say through the gospel? That it's not your nationality that matters. All are welcome to come to the cross. All are welcome to put their faith and trust in Christ. So he says that we we didn't come into you with deceit. We weren't trying to deceive you. We weren't coming with unclean motives. How many gospel preachers in the world today do you think have unpure motives? You can go on YouTube. It, It often scares me when people say, I've been listening to this guy on YouTube. Why? Because there's so much junk on YouTube. And the problem is, it doesn't sound like junk. It's, it's actually, it, it soothes the itching ears that we have at times, right? It makes us feel good. It, it, the, I was talking to my brothers about this. So how, you know, you, you read somebody's statement of faith and it's like, man, we align with that. Everything they have said, we align with. And it's not in their statement of faith where they err. It's in the things they preach around their statement of faith. It's the things that they're, they're purposefully unclear on or they won't draw lines over. It's, it's the areas in their life where they say this, but this is what they actually mean. This is what they actually preach. So Paul says, we didn't come in with, with uh, deceit. We didn't come in with uncleanness. We didn't come in with guile or sinfulness. We weren't trying to manipulate you, but we were simply coming in 
in integrity so that you could have a chance to hear the gospel of God and how it can change your life just as it's changed our lives. And so Paul's desire was to come in with pureness, and that should be our desire as well. He says in verse number four, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Have you ever thought that, that God has allowed you and I to be put in trust with the gospel? The gospel is is the most valuable thing in all the world. Do we actually look at it like that, that God has given it to us? He's put it in our care. What is that saying? That God wants to use us. He wants to use his church to do what? To make his name known. That's his plan. As we saw on Vision Sunday in that video, uh, the guy says, God's put all his baskets in the church, all his eggs in the church basket, right? He's saying, this is my method of how I want my message to be made known through my people, these bodies of the believer of believers, this body of believers, that they would go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now we know that God has, has revealed himself in the world. Romans 1 tells us that. But it, it, it would be hard for somebody just to look at the world, then to understand they're a sinner, to understand that there's truth about Jesus, and then get saved, right? There, there has to be something that takes place in there, and what is that? It's the gospel preached. It's the gospel proclaimed. And that's what Paul was doing in here. As he held the gospel of God, he believed that these were opportunities that God allowed him to take to speak the gospel. And so he says, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Do you know what Paul realized? That one day he was not going to stand before the unbelievers at Thessalonica and give an account of his life to them. He was going to stand before God that tried the heart. And the same with us. We're, we're not going to stand before our co-workers and give an account to them of the opportunities that God gave us. We're going to give an account to God. And oftentimes we like to think of that scene in heaven with believers on one side and unbelievers on the other, and they're, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you? Probably not really going to look like that, right? We, we often use illustrations like that to manipulate our hearts, to go out and do what we're supposed to do. What should be the most powerful tool that causes us to go out and preach the gospel, that we're going to stand before God who tries our hearts. And so Paul, as he's, as he's writing to these people, he says, you know how we came. It wasn't with deceit, it wasn't with uncleanness, it wasn't with guile, but as we were allowed, we spoke the gospel of God. We didn't try to please men, but we pleased God because we know that God is the one who was going to try our hearts. Paul had a lot of enemies, and it didn't take him long to make them. I know people like that too. Um, their enemies, they have enemies for a different reason. Um, but Paul had a lot of enemies in his life. He faced a lot of conflict over the gospel, but he did not move from the gospel. And I think it's significant that we see Peter, you know, who, who was a, a, a pillar of the faith, we could say, as one of the 12 disciples of Christ. And yet he had a time of erring in his life where he denied Christ. We don't see that in Paul's life. He lived with such conviction until the end. And why was that? Because he, he lived with this thought and his truth that one day he would stand before God who tried his hearts. And I think that's a powerful, powerful illustration. Anybody have any thoughts on verses 3 and 4 as we think about his entrance to them and the way, the way that... Yes, Annie. <laughs> You're good at that, Annie. <laughs> yeah, uh... That's a good question. Um, I, I think in part, it's, he's appealing to them as he knew them, right? And so do, you think, do I think that Paul revealed the idea of the Holy Spirit to them while he was there? Certainly, I believe he did. We don't have everything that he taught them. Um, do, could he have written them other letters that address the idea of the Holy Spirit? Certainly, he could have. But right now, he's, he's making a case because he was being attacked just as they were being attacked. And he wanted them to understand, hey, guys, I came to you with, with purity of mind, of pure, with purity of life, with purity of message, that it wasn't about me. It was all about God, pointing everything back to God because God is the one who saves. And so it, his, his, I guess I would say his thought process right now is not geared towards the Holy Spirit. It's just geared towards encouraging them to live a life of faithfulness as he lived a life of faithfulness because there were probably some in that church um, that were on the brink of saying, you know, this, this is too much, this is too hard. And yet Paul is appealing to his own testimony to say, hey, press on, press on, keep moving on. As we moved on to you, 
Paul, Paul, or myself and Timothy and, and Silas, you keep moving on as well because there's something better waiting for you on the other side. Good question, though. Dave. Yeah, right. We want it this way instead. Yeah. Tell me the good news about me, right? I don't, that God thing is cool, but tell me how good of a person I am, right? And that's, uh, I, I appreciate that thought because that's much of what a cultural gospel or a social gospel would do is, is paint this picture that, hey, you're, you're really pretty good. You just need a little extra something to, to get you over the hurdle that you're facing right now. And that's Jesus. Just, you know, just believe in Jesus and you're good to go. Where the gospel says, hey, you're really bad. Like, you stink as a person. You're dead, you're blind, you can't do anything right. Everything that you do do that's right is really filthy rags. You're hopeless. Hey, but there's good news and his name is Jesus. And so that's, that's an excellent point um, that the good news that Paul preached wasn't necessarily good news uh, to those who heard it every time. But for those who had their eyes opened, uh, how many of you in here tonight would say the gospel is good news? It's the best news, right? It's, it's the most liberating news. As as much as uh, culture wants to push an agenda of, that seems like it changes every day um, and they promote it as, as this is the, the best news, the best news there's ever been, we would say, no, the gospel is the best news because it supersedes all of these other things that you're trying to use to make people comfortable where they're at. The Bible does just the opposite. It says, I want to make you really uncomfortable with where you're at so that you can find comfort in the only one who can bring it, who is Jesus. And that that's what Paul was doing as he went from place to place. So his message was pure. He didn't preach himself. He preached the gospel. His message was pure. He didn't try to manipulate others to get them to do what he wanted them to do, but he just simply pointed them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. His message was pure in that he, he didn't try to um, deceive people um, just so that he could have a good tally of decisions made when he went from place to place. He just simply spoke the truth and he let the gospel do the work. And when we clearly preach the gospel, the gospel will do the work. What does the Bible say? The word of God will not return void. It will always accomplish that, what it's, what it's set forth to do. And sometimes we get disappointed and say, well, well, nobody got saved. Well, maybe we have to give it time, right? If Just to use uh, Liz's mom as an example. You know, as I said, this is the third, probably the third time I've talked with her. And what if after the first time, it's like, nope, she's not going to get it. And so the next two times she said, I want to talk. Well, that's not, you're not going to get it. So I'm just going to move on. No, what's my hope? That every time the gospel would take a little more ground in her heart until that seed takes root. And she calls on the name of Jesus. And that's every one of our stories, right? Probably not many of us got saved the first time we heard the gospel. But when we did get saved... It was the gospel that did the work and not, a, not an individual, not a person. And that's what Paul's saying here. Any other thoughts? You just mentioned uh, the, some of the stuff on YouTube and on the internet and all that stuff. Paul has so many problems with false doctrines in the churches. And imagine today where yeah. everything's a problem. It can, all that stuff can be used for good, but it can also be yeah. used for other stuff. And Satan appears as his angels of light and his ministers as It is very scary. And I, I think as, as Paul outlines this for us, he's, you know, as he says these words, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor was it of uncleanness, nor was it in guile. What is he calling them to, to understand? That, hey, there are some that are coming in with deceit. There are some that are coming in with, with guile, with impure motives. They're trying to lure you away. But Paul says that wasn't our, our desire. That wasn't our effort. That wasn't what we hoped would be the outcome. 
Um, we just simply wanted to make the gospel known, for when the gospel is made known, uh, it will do an incredible work. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Kelly? Sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Ethan and I were actually talking about that this week, how, you know, after he got saved and he comes uh, with the, to, to see the disciples and they're like, we actually don't want anything to do with you, right? Who, who are you and why are you here? We've heard what you do. And then they got confirmation from the Holy Spirit that said, hey, I'm going to use him to open a door to the Gentiles that you won't even believe. And as Paul went from place to place, who did he primarily see trust Christ? It was the Gentiles. He went to the synagogues first, as was, was custom, um, but he primarily saw these Gentiles come to faith in Christ, and God used his, his testimony in his past in a powerful way to, to show the power of the gospel. And there were probably people that were timid around him, but once they got to know him, I bet they grew to love him, right? That he was on the top of their prayer list because they saw how God was working in him and through him. So that's a great thought. Anybody else? All right, moving on in verse number five. He says, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. So Paul's continuing his defense of his life. And, and we, have to, we have to wonder, you know, why, why is he doubling down so hard on this idea that we came to you in pureness? And I, I really think, and, and this just isn't my brain working because I'm not that bright, but I really think it's because his ministry was under such attack Amen. and there were so many people saying, this guy Paul that you're following, he's not giving you the whole truth. You have to do these things as well as trust in Christ. He's, he's doubling down on this because he wanted them to understand, hey, they're the false teachers, not me, right? And typically, you know, the first to admit they didn't do something at least for my kids, we're like, we're pretty suspicious right now that it probably was you that did that thing. And, and to some, as Paul doubled down and said, you know, just examine our ministry and what will you find? Probably some said, yeah, look how much he's defending himself. But if they really, if they really you know, examined his life and ministry, what would they find? That, hey, the things he's speaking here is true. And so Paul didn't just live intentionally in the way that he spoke about the gospel or of God. He lived intentionally, as we're going to see, even when it came to being a burden to the people. He, he believed that God was going to supply for every one of his needs. He, he didn't desire gifts. Doesn't he say that in another place? But they gave a gift to be a blessing to him. But it wasn't Paul saying, hey, I'll preach if you do X, Y, and Z for me. He just went in and preached, believing that God was going to supply for his needs. And so in verse number five, again, he says, neither any time used we flattering words. He says, we didn't come in with, with fancy language trying to convince you. We didn't come in with a cloak of covetousness saying, hey, look here, and then the smoke and mirrors, and then a rabbit pops out of the hat, right? It, it wasn't any of these things, but rather he spoke in purity, he came in purity, and who does he call for a witness to the witness stand? God is my witness. Now, if you've watched any court hearings ever, you know, they put their hand on the Bible and they swear to say the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. How many people have lied in a courtroom before? Um, that's, that's, that's taking or using the name of God in vain. Paul didn't do that. When he says, God is my witness, he said, I want you to take a magnifying glass, a fine-tooth comb, and a pair of tweezers and examine every area of my life as I came into you, examine every word that I spoke, and what will you find? That I came to you in purity, that I came to you in love, that I came to you because I cared about you, because I desired, as we're going to see in just a few minutes, that you would, you would understand and believe and grasp and take hold of the gospel. God is my witness. This is how we came to you. And then he goes on in verse number six, he says, nor of men sought we glory, Paul didn't, as we said, I think last week, send in an entourage of people before him, waving banners 
and have a parade saying, hey, everybody, Paul's coming. Truthfully, that would have done him more harm than it would have done him good, right? Because it would have gotten everybody alert to this idea that this fanatic is coming to town. Paul says, I, I didn't seek glory. I, I, remember, he, he didn't even want to baptize. They're having the argument of, of who baptized who, and Paul says, I'm thankful I didn't baptize any of you because you're a bunch of crazy people, right? This is not about me. It's about the gospel of God. It's about his son, Jesus Christ. He said, so he didn't seek glory. And then he says, neither of you nor yet of others when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. What is, what is he saying? So Paul could have gone from place to place and said, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ and you need to take care of my needs. But Paul says, I never sought to be a burden. Why? Because I believe that God would take care of my needs. Do you know, it's silly probably, but at the business meeting, um, you have Matt and I go out and you guys talk about us, which I think is kind of rude, talking about us behind our back. Um, but you know, that if I came back in here and you said, hey, Dan, we can't give you a raise. In fact, we've got to cut your salary. I, I don't know why I even thought through this on last Sunday, but I did. Do you know that I would not go anywhere? Why? Because God will take care of my needs. Why do I believe that? Because he has every single day of my life. And so I'm not trying to say I'm like Paul, but I get what Paul is saying here. That I'm not here for the glory. I'm not here for what it's going to get me. Do I appreciate how you support me and my family and provide for us? Probably more than I can even express with words. But even if that wasn't the case, next Sunday, guess what? I'd be here. In fact, I had, even in, during COVID, I had a discussion with some of the leadership. I mean, we didn't have church for 13 weeks. When your salary is tied to the idea of people coming to church, I mean, there, it, it could happen, right? Like, oh, the money's not there. But it was never a deterrent to me. Like, it, it never crossed my, I'm, I'm happy to go get a job. Why? Because I know this is where God wants me to be, and I know that God's going to provide for my needs. And so as Paul went to Thessalonica or to Corinth or to Philippi, it was never with this motive like, oh, bank account's getting a little low, guys. We've got to preach a little extra on giving and uh, maybe uh, do a few extra miracles and then um, maybe take a couple extra offerings and then we'll get what we need. No, Paul said God's going to provide. Every step of the way, God's going to provide. Every step of the way, God is going to give me what I need. And so he says, even when I could have been burdensome, meaning that I could have made requests of you or, um, or, or desired things of you to make my life easier. Paul says that was never my, my lot in life to do. It was never my desire. He said, I simply came to speak the gospel of God to you with purity of heart, with purity of motive, with purity of words, because I believe it's the gospel that's going to do the work. Um, as he goes on in verse number seven, he says, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. The illustration Paul uses here is a nursing mother. If you've ever seen a, a, a mom nurse her child, um, most of the time, what are they doing when they're nursing that child? They're looking down at that baby with tender love in their eyes. Why? Because that's their baby. They love them, and they would do anything they could to protect them. Now, Come three in the morning, it might be a different story. Um, but that's the illustration Paul uses because it's such an, an intimate and close relationship. And Paul says, as we came into you, that's how we came. We were, we were gentle among you. We didn't shake you when you didn't act right, when you didn't, when you didn't conform to what we preached right away. We allowed the gospel to do the work. Why? Because we know that in shaking you, we could have manipulated you to make a decision but that decision's not going to last. But when the gospel does the work, it's a lasting decision. It's a decision that, that changes the person from the inside out. So he, he's, he's appealing to their memory again and saying, remember how gentle we were, that we didn't use harsh words, that we didn't use manipulative words, that we didn't use deceitful words, that we didn't use contentious words. We just simply preached the gospel and let the gospel do the work. And why? Why did we do this? Because we were affectionately desirous of you. What does that mean? That we loved you. That we loved you. 
that when we came to Thessalonica, as we said last time, I guarantee you that as, as much as they talked about what happened in the previous place, that they were probably shamefully entreated and kicked out, they moved with anticipation towards the next place, praying for people that they didn't even know yet to be saved. Ethan and I, when we met this week to talk about uh, doing discipleship with him, and one of the things we talked about was, you know, we need to pray for people to get saved. And we prayed. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just cool to see how God works because we prayed on Friday that somebody would get saved on Sunday. Why? Because we love people, right? We want to see people get saved. And God answers those prayers. And that's how Paul was going to these people. He was affectionately desirous of them. He says, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, that's the most important thing, but also our own souls because ye were dear unto us. How were they dear to him? He didn't even know them. How, how were they dear to him? And why would you be willing to give your, of your own soul for somebody you don't know? Because you believe that the gospel works. And so as Paul came to Thessalonica, this is how he came. With deep love, with a God-given mission, with pure desires, without deceitfulness, without manipulation, simply desiring to see the gospel do the work. And as he preached the gospel of God, what do we find in Acts 17? That many Greeks got saved. Many Greeks placed their faith and trust in Christ. They believed the gospel, they heard the gospel, and the gospel changed their lives. And so I, I would just simply desire for us to understand tonight, again, the simple truth that the gospel works. It works in God's time and it works in God's way, but the gospel works. And so what do we have to be faithful to do? Preach the gospel. To make the gospel of God known to the world that we live in. Any thoughts? I know I didn't give you time there for, for uh, feedback or, or input, but I think in verses 5 through 8, any thoughts on Paul's words here as he spoke to this church or wrote to this church? Caleb. Yeah, yeah. got to be careful not to judge them by our feelings, right? Because there's a lot of preaching that makes us feel good. But Paul would say we need to use a different model. Um, one of the things that really stuck out to me is that Paul, Paul looked at people um, as eternal souls. And that's why he had such love for them as he went from place to place. Because just as he was going to stand before a God that judged, so they were going to stand before a God that judged. And he wanted to make sure, as he was prepared, that they were prepared to stand before him in that day. Somebody else. Mr. Bird, did you have your hand up? I heard a conversation one time. Somebody was going to the mission field, and they said, why are you going there? And he said, because I love those people. Hmm. And they said to this guy, how can you love those people? You've never met those people. Why are you going? How can you say you love somebody you've never met? Yeah. And he says, I've been reading the Bible, and I know Jesus loves yeah. those people, so I love those people. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... That's a Excellent point. And truthfully, as a believer, there shouldn't be people in the world that we don't love. There just shouldn't be. We're, I think we get so wrapped up in politics at times that, that we, can, we can cling to politics and, and forsake the Bible. Because what does politics paint a picture of? That there's good people and there's bad people. There's people that are like you. There's people that are not like you. There's people that have rights and there's people that don't have rights. And that's been the, the message of politics throughout history, not just presently, but throughout history. 
But what does the Bible say? That all people are made in the image of God, and therefore they have an intrinsic value that can't be stripped from them, that God loves them, and that we should love them as well. And so uh, important things to think of as we go through life. Anybody else? Any thoughts? It teaches that Christ loved your enemies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love your enemies. Yeah. Don't persecute you, hate you, say bad things about you. Love them. Just love them. Yeah. I think that's a valuable word. Anybody else? All right. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we do thank you for this time again that we can come tonight to study your word. We thank you um, for the life of Paul, for the ministry of Paul, for the example that it is. And God, we know that he was not a perfect person. But we do also understand, God, that you used him in a tremendous way as he continually surrendered himself to you. And God, I pray that, that as we see his example, we would be a follower of him as he was a follower of you. And God, I pray in our own lives that, that we could be an example, that as we surrender to you, God, that people that could, could then look at us and say, hey, I'm going to follow them as they follow Christ. True, truly, we're all to be making disciples not just of us, but we're to be making disciples of Christ as that's part of the commission that you gave to us. And I, I pray, God, tonight that as we think through Paul's words, God, as he was attacked, as he was wrongfully treated, as he was abused, God, he just stayed steadfastly focused on the truth that mattered. And though he did defend himself here, we see that the defense that he made was, again, not to make himself look good, but to show the pureness of the gospel that he preached. God, I pray as we go through our lives that we would have that same desire to, to let the gospel shine through our lives, through our words, through our actions, through our attitudes, and our conversations, God, that, that those around us would know that, that we serve Jesus, that he's our Savior, and that through our lives, God, they would have a desire to have what we have. We ask, God, that you'd give us a good evening, keep us safe as we travel home, give us weeks this week where we surrender to you in all areas of life. And God, I pray as we come back next Sunday to be refreshed and encouraged, God, that, that we would look back on the week that we had and say, it was hard, but God was good. It was hard, but God was good. We thank you again for your kindness to us. Do this now as we go our separate ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.